This is Akafe. Laura Marie and Jessica Marie proudly present A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, a podcast. Fair warning, everything the hosts say is explicit, full of spoilers and adult content and shall not be used against them. They have opinions. Let's try not to drag anyone for expressing themselves and just have fun for an hour. We all deserve it. There will be spoilers in this episode, specifically from Akatar, Akafas, The Boys, Doctor Who, Fifty Shades, True Blood, The Throne of Glass series, Crescent City, and Six of Crows, as well as some conversations surrounding sexual assault. Hi, everybody, and welcome to A Court of Fandoms and Exploration, your weekly deep dive into YA literature and the fandoms that we love. I'm Laura Marie. And I'm Jessica Marie. And today we're talking about our current reads, what we've read, what we like, what we don't like, and what we're excited to read. This week, we're also touching on the value of fluff to soothe the soul and our opinions on the ultimate fluff, A Court of Frost and Starlight. We'll also be discussing Silver Flames because why shouldn't we speculate? What else are we going to do during a pandemic? Uh, Probably just go down the TikTok rabbit hole because that's what I've been doing since January of last year. So have you found anything good for TikToks? I mean, I found the BookTok community, which I don't know if I could say they've embraced me, but I've totally embraced them. I love commenting. And then I found myself, I think of it like a, a transmedia experience because then I go from TikTok and then I go from TikTok, they're posting their Instagram pages and then I'm going to the Instagram pages and then now it's just a spiral because I follow them on the personal account. And then I also started following them on our Akafe account. So I'm just, I feel like I'm double fisting all the glory for all the content creators. Oh, that's okay. We want to support as many people as we can. And if that takes our personal account and this account too, well, then that's fine. I feel bad for Laura because sometimes she's just getting random DMs from at, on her personal account from both of our pages. So I'm like, oh, this person posted something. This one has somebody. I'm so excited. Everybody has such a great, everybody just keeps stepping up their game, just especially with the fan art. Just when you think it's not going to, like, it can't get better. It somehow gets better. I'm so excited of the of the purchase that came out with the December release for the A Touch of Magic AU account with the three Illyrian babies playing in the snow. Uh, and I think I also really liked it because I just, speaking of current reads, I reread Frost and Starlight for this episode. So there's some fresh insight that I was able to take away from that I wasn't as emotionally invested anymore because let's face it it's not the best of the books so but save that we'll get into that because right now let's start with our current current reads i'll go first the best read that i've had so far has been the blood and ash uh, kingdom of flesh and fire by jla those are pretty fantastic though i have to say blood and ash isn't awesome I got it because it was all over book talk and it was supposed to be very spicy. And I was like, okay, I'm here for spice. And it just didn't deliver until like the end. And I was like, okay, well, I'll, I'll read, I'll read the sequel. And damn, the sequel is everything I wanted and more. The cliffhanger, fantastic. I'm so excited for April. I don't love the characters. I know some people love the characters. I don't love them, but I like the story. It is unexpected. 
and uh, really interesting. So that was that was probably the best current read that I've had. The worst current read that I had would is a tie, I guess, between Deadly Education by Naomi Novik and the Second Born series by Amy A. Bartol. We've just just you and I have discussed trash books. <laughs> And what a trash book is to you, what a trash book is to me is essentially the Second Born series from Amy A. Bartol because, oh my God, it's fine, but it's bad. Like, is it bad? The writing, the plot, is it trash because it's a guilty pleasure? Because that's my, I consider my contemporary romance trash because of the stigma that comes along with romance. But I say it in a loving way. I love a bad Hallmark movie, a bad Christmas movie. You know what's going to happen. You get your happily ever after. And it's so cheesy and you just know. And I usually used to, prior to uh, the fantasy sci-fi of it all, would just bathe in it. Like, especially in the beginning of this year, you knew I was all about my stiletto series, the stiletto Oxford series, where it's all, you know, 20, 30 somethings live in their best life in New York with no budget whatsoever. I mean, that was like, it's like, it's me in five years. (laughs) That was my crack. And now it's just, it's different. So what is, what do you consider trash? Books that are skewed young so like on the on the younger end of YA but they still say like fuck and the the plot goes from you know it's one thing and then all of a sudden they're all reincarnated gods and goddesses and there's a robot army taking over the world and you're just (laughs) like how very Dalek (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 really <laughs> and, and they're and they're beaming their subconscious into clone bodies that they've grown in a secret <laughs> underwater lab. And it just keeps going and going and going and just getting more and more out there. And that is trash to me. It doesn't even seem cohesive anymore. Yeah, no, it's just like, where is the original? There's a TikTok about it. It's like, where did we lose the plot? Was there ever a plot? Was there ever a plot? Um so, so that is what trash is to me. Um, I have two more current reads, and that is To Kill a Kingdom by uh, Alexandra Christo. Uh, not great. It had potential, but it wasn't great. And then I reread Chain of Gold by Cassandra Clare because I, I needed something to cleanse the palate after all of that. Well, I guess for my current reads, I did specifically what I read this week. Um, I think I've said I'm a speed reader. I think I've had 80 books so far for 2020. So this particular week, I went outside of the genre that I used to go read a lot and just something different. It's something that everybody from Book Talk has really been talking about was A Song of Achilles by Madeline Miller it was only 11 hours from an audio perspective. It took me the entire week. I just, I couldn't get into it. And then finally, like halfway through, I was able to get in. And I think that's just, even though I love Greek mythology, it just, it's, the the prose was different from what I was used to reading, um, especially when I come from fluff or fantasy of it all. Um, But it was still written so beautifully. And there, I mean, there's something to be said with a true Greek tragedy. I was just so sad for these two people, for Achilles and Patroclus. I, I can't say his name correctly, but it's nice to see the 
intimacy of the relationship and how it was written. It was just very, it, there was a depth to it between the two characters, which I thought was very nice, but also very sad at the end as most Greek tragedies. From there, I immediately went to Normal People by Sally Rooney. I had a coworker recommend that book to me and it just became available at the library. So I was like, okay, I'll do that. And then that was another seven hour book supposed to be an easy read, but it's very dark and the topics were really heavy. I wish it came with a trigger warning because of how emotionally intense um, the subjects were. And I, and even at the end of the book, I just kind of stopped and I go, wait, that's how it ended. I'm so used to everything being tied up with a nice little, you know, bow and then we'll go to Rumi's, which is a Christina Lauren book, who I, I, I like the authors, but it was so bad. And it was the only reason I didn't give it a one star, uh, one star on Goodreads, Laura, I told you this is because I only reserve my one star ratings for my DNFs and I finished it. It was so bad. Um, and I'm sure like this, is, some people love it because some people actively talk on Instagram like oh this is my favorite book it's a good reread it shouldn't be anybody's reread it was just it was the I'm going to marry you because I need a green card trope oh it's that one yeah it was so bad and then we're gonna fall in love I just and it took and it had everything I would have Laura likes to affectionately call me is this something that pre-Akatar just would like or post-Akatar and pre-Akatar just wants or didn't care about depth. And now I just want more. And I told her, I go, look, even pre-Akatar just wouldn't have been happy with this book. And it has everything I would have liked previously. Uh, it takes place in the city. Her uncles are head of Broadway producers and creative directors. I mean, I knew where she lived when she's like, oh, yeah, I'm in Hell's Kitchen off 57th. I mean, everything was there that I would have liked but it just wasn't there. Um, so at least I got to bounce that out and wrap the whole week up with rereading Frost and Starlight, which, you know, nobody's saying it's a good book, but it's what I, I need. I'm sure some of the other readers are like, I just needed something light when I came off of Akawar. So to go back into Frost and Starlight to be happy and be like, oh, I'm with, I'm with the fam. I, it was nice to feel like I was home for a little bit. I don't know. I sound so geeky about it, but I'm obs- I love that. I love the inner court. I love it so much. That's fair. That's fair. I do think that because people were so invested in Akawar, going from that and expecting something fantastic from A Quarter Frost and Starlight, people were disappointed. I personally didn't feel like it was Sarah's writing. Oh, no. Yeah, I felt like she was like telling someone loose concepts and then somebody else was writing it. It just didn't seem like her. I feel like there are fanfic writers out there who would have, one, done a better job. And I I mean, we'll go into some fanfics about it, about the topic of fanfics later in this episode. Uh, I know we wanted to discuss further, but you have some, not only would they have been written better, but you just have some writers who you read it and you're like, no, that that's, 
that they totally captivated that character. They know that character. And I feel like you could have had, you could have a rewrite of Frost and Starlight with a fanfic writer who understands these characters. And we would have, we as a community probably would have been like, this is what Frost and Starlight could have been. And for all I know, there's one out there. I haven't gone down the fanfic rabbit hole of the Akatar series or any, I haven't, I haven't touched a fanfic aside from Elicity since 2015. And I feel like that's its own um, like fanfics anonymous addiction group or something I should have been in. <laughs> that's fair. You have the most recent memory because you just finished this. Right. So right, right off the bat, what are your feelings? What do you think? Like, we know it's not good, <laughs> but. um, I don't know. I feel like rereading it gets me excited for Silver Flames. What's to come? And I say that just because you have the shift of narrative. You have like each chapter is based on a person's perspective, which Sarah has already openly said, like we're going to have Nesta and Cassian's perspective. So I think that transition is important, especially if people haven't explored Frost and Starlight yet. I mean, we see a bit of it at the end, uh, not even a bit, like we see two specific instances that I could think of is at the end of Akamath, where the last chapter goes into Reese's perspective because Feyre is over at the Spring Court. And then you see it at the intro of uh, Aka War, where again, it's Reese's perspective after the first war 500 years ago, or yeah, like I guess 420 or 80 years ago or something. So I think we have that exposure, but understanding a little bit more of the characters, I think that was important just from a Frost and Starlight perspective. I don't know beyond that. I mean, I just, like I said, I think it's it's 100% fluff. Is it necessary to read it? I almost, even though it's a novella, I feel like you need that background going into it because there's, you start seeing the dynamic more of the characters with each other that wasn't already established in like life or death situations which you know that's what they're getting out of and that's even what silver flames is supposed to be with the description is okay here's the aftermath so silver flames is the is is an immediate aftermath of what's still happening and how people are healing and leading into that i think one of my biggest issues with frost and starlight is We'll we'll talk about it, but is the pregnancy thing? So I'm not, and I'm not talking about the the pregnancy kink. That's later. Oh, what I'm what I'm talking about is when Feyre is in the the gallery and she sees the tapestry and there's the void, um, you know, black and it and the silver and it shimmers and she's talking to the artist and she's like, you know. I lost my husband and I didn't have any part of him to keep. And, you know, I feel like empty and dead inside. And Farah's like, and, it, and a light goes off inside Farah. And she's like, oh, well, we should try for a baby now because I want to have a piece of Reese no matter what, no matter what happens. And that really felt forced to me and it and it felt out of character to me because she because Feyre spends a lot of time in Akamath after they're mated being like I just want to live I want to live my life I don't want to worry about kids yet it's just I want to spend time with you 
And then all of a sudden, you know, they go through war, and then immediately after she's like, no, I want to have a baby now. It hasn't even been a year. And that was one thing that I, I forgot about in Frost and Starlight where she goes, oh, a year ago. She wasn't even, they're celebrating Winter Solstice and she goes, she wasn't even with Reese. She hasn't even been with Reese a year. And everybody focuses on chapter 55 and Akamath for smut. And I use the term loosely because compared like Frost and Starlight, I just finished the part where they're back at the cabin. Mm. And that's smuttier than chapter 55. Very smutty. But at the end of chapter 55, like you said, they're about, uh, I just want to live. Like things are finally clicking into place for her. She's finally found where she belongs. She has this sense of ownership in herself and her powers and what she brings to the table. Um, And this is before even like her powers are fully, um, she's fully controlling them with the whole hybrid attack on Valeris. She's just coming into her sense of self. And also, bitch, you're 21. And and no shade to young parents out there. Everybody has different things going on with them. But at this point in her life at 21, she was just finding herself. And you're continuously finding yourself. And, And it's, they also, look how good Reese looks. And he's 500 years old. You have a lifetime. And I like in the extra chapter in my copy of Frost and Starlight, there's that extra chapter of what's supposed to go into Silver Flames, where Nesta keeps turning down all these job opportunities. And part of the reason is she goes, I have my whole life. If I want to kind of just sleep around and do whatever I want, I'll work later. Like times there, there's no rush in a sense of time right now. And That's interesting to see that different perspective too, where Nest is like, I have all the time in the world. I'll get to working when I can, you know, when I want to. So that is an interesting take that you bring up aside from the reasons and the timing and everything. I think that's a good point. Another complaint that I have about Frost and Starlight is the focus on the drudgery of like running a territory. I don't want to say kingdom because Reese and Feyre aren't kings are, you know, high lady and high lord, but the focus on the desk being so cluttered and having to answer all the letters. And and then Reese, you know, in the beginning, he, he's at the Illyrian camp with, with Cassian. He's just like, basically, I just, I just want to be, I think he says, buried in Feyre. That's yeah, all, that's exactly all I like, want. Or, or that like, oh, life is so hard. I haven't slept with my, my wife in like a couple days or something. Yeah. And he's like, my control slipped and we ended up having sex in the sky. Like what? <laughs> Which I logistically had to be, <laughs> there's, I, I'm going to spoil kind of this. Uh, if you guys watch the boys, here's a spoiler from the boys. There's an episode in the boys where Homelander has floating sex sky sex with another character I'm not gonna say who if you haven't watched it yet but the whole time I'm like oh so that's how they did <laughs> like I wasn't even thinking of the boys at that point I was thinking of Feyre and Reese and that's I mean that's how much the series has integrated into my life that here I am watching a superhero show and I'm like that's logistically how <laughs> It's, it's it's just, it's one of those really crazy things. And, you know, was it necessary? No. Is it amusing? Yeah, kind of. I don't know. I mean, the crashing on the roof, that would hurt me. Like, not just my back, but like other parts would be like, ow. Yeah. And, and like, yes, it's a fantasy. You know, you, you have to, you have to just roll with it at some point. But when, when, when the author is taking so much time 
to, you know, focus on these things, then, you know, I I can suspend my disbelief just so far when you're making sure that I'm worrying about, well, does she have time to answer all the letters? And they had to listen to, you know, like an open court where people come and like voice their complaints. And there's a whole couple pages about how Feyre started asking questions about the complaints and how they're, you know, running the kingdom together. It's like, uh, I understand that there has to be some sort of focus on this because, you know, the war as we know it is over. They're trying to get back to normal life. But also it bothers me. It's like, you know, if you're going to bitch about it and, and she's like, I know that we're wealthy. We can just hire secretaries. It's like, you know, screw you. Like, I would love to be doing this. Yeah. And, and you're just like bitching about it. I don't know. It just it rubbed me the wrong way. The tone was off. And maybe that comes from just both of our personalities where we're very, we're both very ambitious and career driven. And we've had this conversation with Dr. Who saying like, you don't question it. You run, you don't question the opportunity. You embrace every single thing that's going to be handed to you and you hold on to it in every capacity. And when she's complaining about this stuff, I think of that TikTok where he's that that guy, he's like, like you think I give a fuck? Like I don't, I, you, you want me to feel sorry for you. You have, not only do you have the most attractive person ever, you have like your mate in the truest sense of the word, the adoration, not just like the adoration, but like in every capacity. Right. And she's just like, Oh, work so hard. And now, okay, like maybe she's complaining about it and she didn't have the the estate then, but he literally says, here's some free property. We'll build it to however you want. Give you an office. Give me an office. Give you a painting studio. Make sure it has a closet big enough for more. Make sure it has a great garden space for your sister because your sister's obviously going to stay with us. Like make sure we have nurseries. Make sure we have rooms for our brothers. Like this is going to be our compound basically for our whole family it's just, and you just be like, oh, there's so much paperwork. And it's not even like actual work. I mean, not to discredit what she's doing, but literally if they said Cassian did it at the Illyrian camps, he goes, here's some money. Let me buy all your coats because the money's there and give it to the people who need it. It's the same thing. Just and, and maybe this happens also because I'm used to it with work. It's throw money at the problem, get it taken care of. <laughs> You have it. Yeah. I mean, you have everything in the world and you're complaining about the minutia. And then, you know, he, you're right. He did give her the whole estate to plan. And then she wants to get pregnant on top of that. It's just, um, it's, it's a lot. It's a lot. Rereading it today. I got a lot of Christian gray vibes, you know, when he buys Anna that thing and she just like guts it basically and just keeps the frame where she's like, I want the natural woodwork, but like we can basically demolish all the walls and make everything glass. And then they create their sex dungeon and all that stuff. To be honest, no, I don't remember that from Christian Grey because there's only very specific things that I remember. And (laughs) the architecture is not one of them. (laughs) Oh, man. I do remember that she forgot to take her, her mini birth control pill at the same time every day. She ignored her alarm and then she immediately got pregnant. No, it was, she was getting like the depot shot and they ah. told her, yeah. And they said like, it'll be effective between six to eight weeks. 
Um, you have to like get it redone every six to eight weeks, but it was ineffective after four weeks. So that was part of like my thing. I was like, it wasn't even the full six weeks. Like, why are we blaming Anna? And also to complain at this game, because I mean, granted that's the real world, but Reese was taking his male contraceptive, which is a good transition into the alleged pregnancy kink that (sighs) just casts a shadow over this entire book. People just say things to say things because I don't see it as that. I also do not see it as Reese's pregnancy kink for a couple of reasons. One, because, oh, my God, I'm not going to I'm not going to think about him that way. Oh, my God. (laughs) I I, I just can't. And also also, too, I think in the context of it being solstice, it being Feyre's birthday and like gift giving, I see it as Feyre giving him the gift of yes, I'm ready to start having a family. Yes. Which is what he he wanted, you know, this whole time. He said in Akamath, like, you know, if you give me children, I'll be the happiest male alive, but it's not necessary. Right. And I think that's important to say because it's not like their relationship didn't hang in the balance of are they having kids or not? He, you know, he's like, this is your choice. Basically, if you, you know how he says, um, you don't have to do anything in Akamath when she's like, oh, well, if I'm your mate, like I have to bear you kids. And he was like, whoa, you do not have to do anything. And I think that's important to say because he, is this great? Yeah, but he still would have been just as happy with Feyre if Feyre chose not to say, like, look, I don't want to have kids. I just want to have a life with you. I just want to explore. I just want to go on adventures. I want it to be us. And he still would have been so happy if it was just their family, their found family that they created. I don't understand why. I, I don't understand. Sometimes I think people just put things out there with no validity. <laughs> which it, Which is true. Although on the other side of that, um, there are, you know, kinks in Sarah's books. You know, we got Toes in Crescent City. We got the biting in Throne of Glass. Oh, that's why. Because I was just going to say, because there was a part in Frost and Starlight where he goes, uh, in the Ferris chapter, she goes, oh, he nipped at me. And then I was thinking of how you wanted, we were going to talk about the biting kink. And I go, is it really biting? Because I feel like some people just bite or nibble or give hickeys or whatever, or is it like a, a vampire diaries, true blood thing? I don't know. I don't know how I was supposed to take it. I do remember I was watching a medical show the other day and the femoral artery was bleeding. And the only thing I knew about the femoral artery, I was like, oh, that's a good place for vampires to bite because it bleeds excessively. <laughs> and I only know that from season three of True Blood. It's interesting that you bring that up specifically. You know, I'll 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 touch back to a kingdom of flesh and fire where that is discussed in detail. Um, all of the uh, very special places. Oh Lord, <laughs> yeah, it is. Um, it it's quite something. Specifically in regards to Throne of Glass, it is it is not a sexy vampire thing. It is a uh, a claiming. Oh, a claiming hmm. thing, and it's it's a kink. Oh, it is a kink. But it's 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 like not overtly sexual until they make it that way. Okay. <laughs> and, you know, and then, you know, Hunt wants to suck all of Bryce's toes. It's so specific, the toe thing. Like, I just, I've never looked at a male's toes and thought, ew. 
you know, but we're not kink shaming. We're not, we're not kink shaming. I'm just saying for me, for me, (laughs) like I'm not, it just doesn't do it for me. Yeah, no. And I think that's fair. Although I have to think that out of everyone, Hunt would have very nice toes. If if we're going to go that way, if you had to suck anyone's toes in the Crescent City universe, then Hunt's would probably be the safest to go to. I feel like I'm going to have like an over, I'm going to overly think about this for other side characters because now I'm thinking of Therion and I know he's a merman, but I'm, then I'm thinking like, well, what if it's like a an aerial thing where he eventually gets legs? Are they pruny? Because he's in the water? Oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> right off the deep end here. <laughs> I, I love I'm it. Spiral. <laughs> I'm just going to. All right, no, let's pull it, pull it in, pull it in, pull it in. All right. Pull it in. All right. So now, now let's, let's talk about what everyone really cares about when it comes to Frost and Starlight. The box. The box. What's in the box? What's in the box? (laughs) What, what could possibly be in the box? Of course, we're talking about the, the solstice gift that, Cassian wants to give Nesta when he walks her home after the dinner and they end up fighting and he chucks it into the river. I I feel like I've I've seen a fan theory, but after rereading it the other day, I initially thought the fan theory was he had been looking for this for months, all this stuff. And I saw a fan theory saying that they think it's some sort of siphon like uh, Cassian and Az have with their powers. And because we know that Nesta has like a lot of powers, even though nobody really knows how to control it, herself included. I thought that was an interesting theory, but I don't know how difficult, if he's saying like he's, it's taken him months, how difficult is it to get the, the specifics, like the siphon, if all the other Illyrians have it when they're training and, you know, and all the other Illyrians have like one siphon. And meanwhile, as and Cassian have seven. So I don't know if that's it. Also, if it was a siphon like that, they made it a point to say that Cassian didn't want to give the gift in front of everybody. He just wanted to go to Nesta one-on-one. And I feel like if it was a siphon, he could have given it to her and just kind of been blasé about it to say like, oh yeah, that's, here's another gift for you, Nesta. And then just continued on doing their solstice activities. So it could be like, it's not that big of a deal because if it was a siphon, I kind of feel like it wouldn't need to be this one-on-one thing because it kind of benefits everybody too and helps her understand. And Amron would be like, oh, that's great. I'll totally like, well, there, you know, her and Amron are the closest out of everybody. There would be guidance there. So that's my thought on the box. But I do know that we find out what was in the box, according to Sarah. Which, thank God, because <laughs> it is just incredible. And to kind of jump off from there, I know... We will find out what's in the box. Sarah has said so. But I kind of want to touch on the cover. Okay. The cover for Silver Flames. I could not, I do do not, and I cannot, and I could not understand the absolute hate that that cover got when it came out. People lost their fucking minds. And I just, I just don't understand it. You know, we're a book talk community. You're not supposed to judge a book by its cover. Mm -hmm. And holy shit, that is all anyone did. And how, and how awful was it? And I know that this is, you know, this podcast is being aired in January and the cover has been out for some time, but how awful is it that one, you find out that 
not just the author doesn't have a say in the cover, but two, the person who took that time to create that. I mean, we're the we're the last community who should be judging anybody, honestly. I mean, not only with the expression, don't judge a book by its cover, but people who do read have our own challenges that we're being judged on a regular basis. And all of a sudden, you who gives us the right to judge other people? I thought that was so terrible. And uh, me coming into this community fairly late in the game, I've never seen so much aggression. And I and I'm part of other fandoms. And I have, and I'll say specifically Lady Gaga, you know, I've been a huge Lady Gaga fan for like 15 years, it feels like now. The whole, like, if we don't like something, there are people who are super vocal on Twitter, but I have my my group chat with my, my friends and we just say like, this is shit. Like, can't we just, you know, can't you just be normal and not put that hate online and just keep it amongst your close friends? Like, not everything, not everybody's opinion needs to be a public thing, you know, hate festers like that negativity that breeds more negativity. And I feel like it just snowballed with that cover. And honestly, I like it. It matches the new covers. It wasn't the best, but I didn't hate it. I was just like, this is interesting. There's a lot to unpack here that we don't know yet. And the thing that came to mind, I mean, I will say in regards to the mask specifically, I'm like, oh, that's a trigger warning for, you know, season, you know, for the first book or at least the people of Printhian. And then I felt it was more maybe leaning more towards Lucian because of the colors. And then you also have a decor insignia on the mask. So that's the things that stand out for me right now. And also, you know, every everything can stand out, whatever, but like we don't know. There and, you know, just when Crescent City came out, there is so much in the Crescent City cover that we just had no idea about. But people weren't melting down over that because it was the first in the series. And, you know, da, 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 da. I still don't understand the Raven, except for the bar. Like, that's like, I still don't understand the Raven with everything. If you do understand the Raven, please comment. Please. Oh, please. Somebody tell me. Because even when I go on Etsy, they have the Crescent Moon and the Raven and it's on the cover. It's on everything. But I just, I don't know importance that I would really want to understand more. So please help. Please check out our socials under this episode and please tell us what the Raven is because we can't figure it out. That being said, watching people that I respect in the book talk community melt down over this book cover really left a bad taste in my mouth. And I feel like it's a good jump to talk about what being toxic is and what that means in just kind of all of literature, but also the difference between male toxicity and I'll be very clear and Nesta yeah. and what that kind of brings to this series. For those who may not know fully, and we'll use male toxicity and toxic masculinity interchangeably, but it typically refers to traditional cultural masculine norms that can be harmful to men, women, and society overall. Um, Toxic masculinity is defined by like an adherence to traditional male gender roles that are consequently stigmatized to, you know, limit emotions in boys and men. And we're finding it being used incorrectly on book talk a lot, like Laura said. And I think people use the word toxic and damage synonymously with each other, especially on book talk, which isn't always the case. You can be damaged, but not toxic. And I don't like toxic men. Um, I mean, 
Laura, you, you know, like I've dated the most boring guy in the world, but I've learned I like someone with depth and maybe with that depth comes with a level of damage. And especially at our age, if we're not all a little damaged, like that's going to be my red flag. Like, for example, I don't agree with Reese being toxic at all. And I'm sure that there will be other males in this fantasy journey that I aren't, I'm not going to feel that they're toxic either. They're damaged. That doesn't make you toxic. No, I agree completely. I, I don't think that Reese is toxic. And I, I know that kind of because he has his redemption arc and we understand the motives behind everything that he did in um, Akadar and Akamath that we don't really see him as toxic. He is incredibly damaged, but there are people out there that do that say, you know, just because he you know, he gives Feyre a choice, like that's the bare minimum. And, you know, we should set our standards higher for that. And also he did, you know, drug and touch Feyre without her consent. It's a slippery slope. Also, I really love the Folk of the Air series. I've said that before. People say that Cardin is very toxic. I think he's a good example of being incredibly damaged Mm -hmm. and that coming off as toxic and i have just finished the king of elfhelm and how he learned to hate stories and we get we get a little bit more about his background and how he was incredibly damaged and how yes that could come out as toxic so when we're talking about book characters i will say that i like toxic characters because as you said it gives them more depth and it, it makes them a little bit more interesting, but only because in the book community, toxic and damage, as you said, are used interchangeably that. I also am thinking of Kaz in Six of Crows. I, I would say he's a little bit more toxic, but he is also incredibly damaged and suffering from PTSD and so many other things. Those those characters have more oomph, I feel like, behind them instead of just a straight up good or bad character. And there's something to be said because every example that you just gave, we are using the pronoun of he. And there is a lot of Nesta hate out there, but there's also a lot of Nesta love. And I'm just thinking recently with the Frost and Starlight at the beginning of the book, Reese and Farrah are talking. And Reese is, you know, saying like, we like Elaine, but like, I still blame Nesta. And Fair is like, you can't blame one and not the other. If you're going to blame one, you got to blame both. And Reese says, well, Elaine is Elaine and Nesta is, well, Nesta is Illyrian. She's an Illyrian at heart. And I think it's interesting that everybody, you know, wants to hate on Nesta and she has, I mean, I'm not saying that she's great. Like, I'm not like, woo, team Nesta. I'm, I'm interested to know more about her, but it's very interesting to discuss that you have these characters that, you know, you were saying Kaz and Cardin and Reese and, you know, a slew of other people, they have these redemption arcs and they're damaged and they have PTSD. Well, no, like you have people who are not necessarily giving that same defense to Nesta. And you can argue that like, well, or is Reese being team Elaine because she's soft and demure and, uh, you know, she's within the confines of the experience expectations of femininity. No, exactly right. And we know, we know that Nesta is suffering from severe PTSD. Just the scene when she's in her apartment and she lights a fire and she is hearing the crackling of the fire, but all she can really hear is her father's neck snapping and she's not feeling anything or in the extra chapter in frost and starlight it's hard for her to take a bath because she's having the ptsd of being submerged in the cauldron absolutely and as as you said like 
Nesta is not the easiest character to like. In my opinion, she starts off shitty and she just gets shittier. And Sarah confirms it. Sarah confirms it even with Silver Flames. She says she doesn't. It's not like Silver Flames comes along and she goes, she's still shitty for most of the book. Yeah, which uh, is fair. And I would be upset if she weren't because that would be such a drastic departure from her character. But Nesta is very strong. She we we know that we know that she has a lot of power, but we also know that she's very strong just from the example of her not being able to have her mind influenced by Tamlin um, when he came to, you know, set everything right after Pharaoh was gone. You know, she went to look for Pharaoh. She knew that something was wrong. And even within the cauldron, like she didn't let the she wasn't complacent in the actions of the cauldron. She's like, you're going to do this shit. I'm going to, I'm going to give it right back to you. And she has always been very strong willed since the beginning to the point where even in the first book, she goes, what's the expression? Um, I'll cut, I'll cut my nose to spite my face. And she was willing to let her family suffer because her dad wasn't providing. And that included letting her baby sister go hunting for them at 14. Absolutely. That is such a good point. And it is a good segue to just kind of talk about what do we think we're going to get with Silver Flames. We're going to get Bitchy Nesta. We know this. It's been confirmed. We're going to get, you know, sassy, sexy Cassian. We also know this. The enemies, to, and I can't even say they're enemies to lovers. It's like enemies, lovers, enemies. Like it's a double, it's a double because it's the enemies since Akamath, the lovers of Akavor, then enemies of Akafas. And <laughs> I uh, there's so much to to unload. I think I think we should start with wings and embers. That was the Akamat, the ec- like an extra chapter. Extra, yeah. Oh, yes. I I think we should start there because it really plays up the chemistry that is between Nesta and Cassian, and it makes you excited for what Silver Flames could be. So if you're unfamiliar, it's basically just a, a few pages where Cassian comes to. The house that the sisters are living in, you know, this is after, this is before Nesta is Faye, but after Reese and Farah are in the night court. Yeah, they're in the night court, but they're not, they're not mated yet. And, and Cassian makes a point. He's like, nobody understands how hard it is to be under the roof of two people who are mated and they don't, they're not acknowledging this to each other. Like, this is like, he's just going like, ah, the hormones. Right. So, and, and Cassian um, admits that he has this pull to Nesta, and, and Nesta has a pull to Cassian too. She, they, there's a very sexy scene where they're like leaning. There's like a wall that Nesta's on, and you know, Cassian has his arms around you know the head, her head, and her body's like curving into his, and she's exposing her neck. Oh, and then he like he kisses. Like it's not just an exposure. Like he kisses her neck. There is physical interaction there mm-hmm. and a physical response too and that this has been happening since before she was even Faye. he saw her and he was like shit my life is done and also trigger warning nesta talks about and it, it's not exactly clear if it was a rape or if it didn't get that far but she says to cassian basically something happened And I was in a situation that was not good. And it makes me 
not really trust men. And Cassian's like, immediately, who is this guy? I'm going to, I'm going to murder this guy. I would do it for anyone and I will do it for you. And she, Anesta says um, in her, her like perspective, she's like, and I, I, I knew he would do it for anyone, but he, the fact that he would do it for me, it, it meant something to her, but she is unable to express these feelings. And that, that's something I I just want to put that poor girl in front of a shrink. Like she needs to talk so much shit out because she wasn't raped, but there was an assault there that scared her because then he was asking her if she was a virgin and she's like, uh, what's it to you? And, you know, eventually, you know, that carries over into the hive, you know, being high fae and everything. She just has so much to unpack. And I mean, maybe that she doesn't know about physical touch as a love language either, because she, she didn't get it from her dad. Her mom died. She obviously wasn't, you know, she didn't have any trustworthy experiences. And what, she shared a bed with her sisters. Like, something's really going to happen there, you know? She's had to keep a wall up for so long as a sense of just just to be protective. Like, since she's the oldest and since day one, she's had to keep a wall up because it was never about her. Right. And, and now, I say now, but... After she's made Faye and in uh, Frost and Starlight, it is well known that she, that Nesta, chooses to live in like the slummy part of town as much as there is a slum in Valeris. <laughs> and that she is just like screwing randos all the time and just like. No shame. We're yeah, not no shaming shame. anybody who does. No, 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 no shame at all. It's just. It's interesting that she goes, that she knows that she has a connection with Cassian. She she knows that he would respect her and she knows that there could be such an intimacy there. And she is so damaged that she can't go there yet. I mean, you know, this is all speculation. And, and you know, I think it's, there's something to, there's something to be said about people who have their feelings locked up or even are survivors of sexual assault where, and we always talk about like, there, there's a fork in the road. There's always, and I'm not just saying like, there's only one of two choices. There's multiple choices, but you do have people who, who seek out that affection or, you know, who might necessarily go down, you know, decide, you know what, like, I'm going to take ownership of my sexuality. Like I am not just a, like, I'm not just a victim. I'm a survivor. I'm going to go ahead and have, you know, multiple partners because I am in control of my sexuality. There's also another option where you can still have control of your sexuality, but you make it a point to say it's not going to be everybody and anyone. This is I'm going to be more actively conscious of who I decide to share this with because I, again, am still in control of this situation of my body. I'm not going to open it to any either way you're both in control of this you're you're still in control of both situations it's just how certain people may address the experiences that they've unfortunately have you know have had happen and i'm not saying this from like a you know disclaimer like i'm not a professional i'm just saying this out of you know conversations that i've had and things that i've read and my own personal experiences like there's just there's different ways and avenues how people handle their their emotions <laughs> more or less no you're absolutely right and just just to kind of to kind of split from this i couldn't i st- i started to reread frost and starlight and <laughs> I, I, I couldn't get through it but i i did kind of catch on sarah's description of nesta as a queen 
Yes. She's used that several times. You know, she her back is ramrod straight. She has a, you know, a crown. Her braid is like a crown. Um, she looks down her nose at people. She's, you know, she's like a queen. It's not just an Akafas. It's mentioned in Akawar too, I think. Like just since the the changing into since Fae. The changing, right. So since we're speculating about Silver Flames, do we think that she will become an Illyrian queen? Is that something that might be on the table? An Illyrian warrior queen with Cassian as her king? I'm not against it. Oh, 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 I remember something that, I mean, it wasn't a gift to her, but it gave me such queen vibes that Cassian gifted Feyre a leather sheath for her sword, like a true warrior or something. And I immediately had the image of Gal as Wonder Woman in the first movie where she was in that blue dress and she has the the mascara sword like down her and I had that image but I wasn't picturing Feyre I was picturing Nesta and I can see that and it would be also interesting because the Illyrian war camp specifically is one of the only if not the only camp that has women as part of their warriors and she's totally, and I mean, and we know this is, I mean, this is a spoiler if you haven't read the extra chapter um, at the end of Akafas, but you know, she's going to the Illyrian mountains. You know, she's going to train, you know, she needs to train just if anything to get out her frustrations. And I think that's going to be something interesting to explore because there is a sense of control and power, which Nesta obviously needs. And Amarin makes comments, I can't think of specific ones, discussing about how she's stronger than everybody. And she has this great power, especially from coming out of the cauldron and Amarin knowing that she connected with Nesta on a very cellular level, but didn't know why. And even the silver eyes, like nobody has silver eyes except for Amran. Like there's something deeper there that we get to explore or not us necessarily, but Sarah definitely did that. We are going to, I feel like silver flames is going to be Crescent city and the sense of everyone's going to just speed read through it. We've been thirsting for so much and we're going to read it. We're going to have a reaction podcast for like an immediate reaction. And then I feel like then we're going to have to sit with it and do a reread to fully digest everything that's thrown at us. And I was thinking about that last night. I was just thinking, oh, you know, it'll be really interesting to readdress all of this because you do want to just like suck it all up and like a sponge and you have to sit with it because then you're going to be like, oh my God, it's over. And you're going to have to, there's going to be stuff that we miss. There's going to be stuff that we need to dive deeper on. There, there's a lot to unpack, I feel, that we don't even know yet. Exactly, that we don't even know yet. But think, um, speaking on things that we do know, we do know that the next book is most likely going to be about as, and we do know Oh, I know where we're going with this. I'm because sorry. <laughs> Sarah told us that Big Daddy Azrael is a freak in bed. In the best, like not in a negative shaming way. Like, oh my, not like freaks and geeks yeah. show from forever ago. It is. <sighs> that is hot. So much so that she daydreams about it. 
she, oh, she had that she, when she was on her Instagram live with Steph, she was just like, I'm, she was physically like, I can't just thinking about it. She, she was so excited about, and you and Laura, you and I've had this conversation where we go, okay. Like, yeah, she's having her Cassian stuff. And I go, she likes Cassian. She dreams about as, as we all do. <laughs> don't, don't we? I, 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 uh, there's just a lot to be said there. I'll tell you what, I feel like my, my TikTok FYP heard me listening to that podcast because all of a sudden as King Talk showed up on my FYP and I go, I didn't even know this stuff existed. <laughs> oh, yes, it does. Oh, uh, does it? As, as King Talk is there, uh, you know, According to the fans, as likes knife play, so he's freaky with the knives. We're we're all here for it. I didn't know knife play was a thing until uh, the Wicked King. The things that YA can teach even us is astonishing. You know, these Gen Z kids—they're going to be graduating high school with with a lot more knowledge than <laughs> I don't even know what. But I also, you know, speaking of an as book, I love collectively as a fandom, when everybody heard the court corpse human, his voice, it was an immediate, I go that that's as his voice. And then you go on to book talk and everybody, you go, I didn't even have to pass the memo. Everybody just knew. And that's why I like that. That choked me. So. You knew immediately. You knew immediately. And then that became synonymous with as, and then Sarah said what she said and everybody knew, everybody just knew, but it felt so validating. I, when I, cause you were sleeping, I was watching it live and I screamed, my poor neighbors. They're really thinking, I have no idea what they're thinking. I just screamed. I was like, Oh my God, it's true. Oh my goodness. And then I think of the little, the, the updated book talks where they do the little voice or the little cutesy bats. <laughs> Of the corpse human song oh man we won't everybody knows what i'm talking about so i'm not even gonna go into yeah, it everybody everybody knows everybody knows um so when we're speaking on as and we're speaking on we know that his book is the next book so let's circle back to frost and starlight and talk about the one it's not even a paragraph it's like a line in frost and starlight where as and reese are speaking about buying a solstice gift oh. for her and Reese says you know put it on my account and he goes I know I know he won't but and then TikTok really ran with this out of nowhere and there's speculation that the her is so many people it's Reese's sister we see and that's and that's interesting because after rereading Frost and Starlight there's a part you know and Reese goes back to Tamlin for a second time and Tamlin's like do you think she'll ever forgive me and Reese is like, I don't fucking know. He basically talks about here you are, and I kill I killed your mother, your sister. I had their wings in my study. Like I delivered that their heads in a box. So I'm really interested to see, you know, it's a snowball effect. Somebody says, Oh, what if the her is Reese's sister and then everybody just kind of kind of goes with it I assumed that the her was Azrael's mom so did I so I don't know where the sister came into it all oh and speaking of I you know or not only is it Reese's sister there's the speculation that's his sister Azrael's mate I had a question I wanted to ask you in regarding mates is 
so we know Lucian, like Elaine, Lucian has made it to Elaine. Elaine, as we know, can still turn down the mate. She doesn't have to accept the mating bond. If you turn down an if you turn down a mate or a mating bond, is it like a like a computer refresh where you're like, okay, system, you know, reboot, like on to find another mate? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know if you knew that. And it was just something that I had overlooked. I don't know specifically, but I have just from the genre and the experience in the genre, I would have to say that no, no, it's it's not like a, a reboot. Then I like, what if you're made it to two people? Like, what if Elaine is both Azrael and Lucian's mate? That's the thing. There's only, there's only one. She could okay. Yeah, unless unless they Sarah, can't like they can't be mated to the same person. Is what I mean. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, unless Sarah really throws us for a loop and does a nice thruple situation. <laughs> no. Oh, poor poor Elaine. She can't even. Oh, she. Oh, Elaine. Elaine. It's just the TikTok. Look how big it is. I'm gonna die. That's okay. We're here for a short for a good time, not a long time. <laughs> the poor girl, she just she doesn't even she doesn't even know what pleasure in that sense probably means. Like not even with herself. Yeah. So you know, unless unless Sarah is throwing us a thruple situation, which you know, here for it. I have no complaints about that. I mean, she threw out the one chapter in Silver Flames that was supposed to be a three-way. Yep. So unless she's doing something like that where it could be like a two-mate situation, you do only get one. You you do only get one mate. I'm not going to spoil throwing a glass for you, but yeah, you, you only get one. And in this world, it sounds like you can reject the mating bond, but I feel like it would it would still be there. You're just not acknowledging it. You're not living with it because we know that Lucian has accepted it. He He's all in. Since Akamath. Right. He was just like, that's my mate. Like, that's my mate. But Elaine hasn't. So so Elaine rejecting it didn't dull Lucian's feelings at all. Like he still struggles with it. And unless she accepts that, he will struggle with that for the rest of his life. But what if she denounces the mating bond will he still struggle yeah yeah oh he will like because he's because he's already accepted it you know it's like if you get it's like if you a super unrequited love thing i'm gonna use the analogy of getting tattoos so if you and your best friend decide to go get best friend tattoos right and you go first and you get your best friend tattoo and then your best friend decides they don't want one you still will always have a best friend tattoo, even if the other friend doesn't. And you can't easily get rid of it. And even if you did try to get rid of it, it would be incredibly painful. Yeah. Oh, that's such a good analogy. Yeah. I just came up with that. Look at me. <laughs> You're so profound. Well, what can I say? Good with thinking on the fly, but that, that is, that is the best way that I could explain as far as I understand it. The mating bond situation that Sarah has created in this book specifically or in this world specifically. And I think that could also circle back around to does Elaine know that? Does she know that? I mean, she is a seer as far as we know. Is she aware of the pain that she's causing Lucian? And if she is... Oh, I forgot. I always forget about the seer part of it all. Right. Because if if she is aware of the, all this pain that she's 
you know, inflicting on Lucian. And of course, it is her choice to accept it or not. But like, damn, that sucks. It kind of puts her in a pickle if she, you know, she doesn't she doesn't want Lucian, but she knows that Lucian's suffering. I I don't know. It's just a really shitty situation there. Then like you could argue about more and as, you know, knowing the suffering, but not just being like, look, here's here's my sitch. Yeah. And I love more. More I want to be best friends with. Like, I want nothing more than to have Morgan in my life. So, I mean, Laura's my Morgan. Aw, that's very sweet. Um, I'm not gay, though. So <laughs> very, very, very. I, I think I think that's important. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like more more struggling with her sexuality and like leading as on is also very shitty. But I think that is a whole other kind of episode. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of discuss because then, you know, yeah, that, that that's just a whole that's a whole other topic. Especially considering next week we'll be focusing on Akabor. Yes, exactly that. The last thing that I kind of want to bring up in regard to um, Silver Flames is going back to Elaine and Elaine being a seer and Elaine dropping that bomb about how you know exactly what I'm going to say. It's the Cassian thing. When Cassian is like, it'll take more than that to oh, kill me. So- and Elaine just goes, no, it won't. I saw their spiral on TikTok this week, or maybe it wasn't a spiral, but one specific person. She goes, everybody's freaking out. She goes it's quite possible. Like nobody's died yet. We're, you know, three and a half books in who's to say this isn't the book that Cassian dies. Right. Like, I, and I, and I'm not from, I know people die in throne of glass. I don't know who I know there's emotional wreckage happening. I love Cassian. Like he's, he's one of the bat boys. I love him so much. I will be distraught <laughs> if he dies. Right. Because we do have Amran technically dying and Reese technically dying, but they are brought back to life. And Feyre died in book one and she yep. was Feyre died and you know, she and they're all they're all brought back to life. They're all brought back different, you know, it it's and then and then if you compare that to Crescent City, which has devastating death, and then Throne of Glass, which also has completely earth shattering, devastating deaths that shape the characters. Which would also be really shitty if Cassian dies as soon as redem- as Nesta starts getting her redemption arc to get that taken away from her again, just like her relationship was like, oh my gosh, my dad is back. Like maybe there's some semblance of something we can develop. Everything that kind of gets laid in front of her keeps just fucking... It's like, no, you know what? There goes the walls again. Bye, Nesta. It's also worth mentioning that if that does happen, I wonder if that would make her even more committed to being some sort of like badass warrior, Illyrian queen. You know, like maybe that's what it would take. I I, I don't know. This is all speculation, of course. Like that's her trigger. Right. Yeah, exactly. Her ordeal. Well, it was her ordeal on the battlefield too, where she released the power she didn't realize she had when Cass was being tortured and throwing her body. Like when Hybern was the king of Hybern was like specifically going after them, she raged and unleashed that power that everyone everyone knew it was just like bubbling under the surface, but they didn't know what it was going to take for her to explode the way she did. Right. Right. Final thoughts. Do we have final thoughts? I'm excited. I think the biggest, my biggest takeaway is I'm excited to, to 
be home, to see everybody again, to, to understand the direction of where these characters are going to go or like the growth that we may or may not see there's, I think that's probably the best way to unpack everything. What about you? I'm very excited. I, I, I'm excited to figure out what makes Nesta tick and to see her journey. But I have to be really honest. I am so much more excited for Az's book because he, big daddy Az is my boy. And I want, I want to get through this book and then see where it goes. I'm excited to see where it goes because we know that we're done with Reese and Feyre. Like they are the background characters. Now this is Mm. another, these are other characters like picking up the story and running with it. And I'm excited to see where it goes. And in that vein, I know that we both have ordered different (laughs) hard copies of this book so that we can get the extra stories in the back. Multiple, not like a book exchange, like, oh, I'll have the Az, you'll have the Reese. No, no, we both have Azrael coming. We both have, and I panic bought everything because Laura would either be on a plane or she'd be going somewhere. And I would just say, I bought us two. I, they're coming here. I'm They're coming to my apartment. Everything I bought was duplicate. <laughs> oh, Sarah has all of my money. She and the bookish community on Etsy, my, I mean, Gaga canceled all of her concerts. Like that's where my money is going now. Cons are canceled. Everything is canceled. I am stuck in my house because of COVID. And it's as we all should be wear a mask. I just, I'm, I, I'm excited. I, I'm looking forward to Az's book, but to for me, for Silver Flames, I'm just like, just like Reese would take Feyre any way he can. If she was like, I just want to be for fun or I want it to be more like, I'm just like, I will take um what is it oliver twist like oh please <laughs> like i will take anything from sarah it's true it's true and especially that we know we know how well i mean excluding frost and starlight because it doesn't seem like her but we know that sarah writes quality books we know that she loves these characters and we know that we're going to get several books out of this series yeah she always writes more than she should. Thank God for creativity. Yeah, thank God for creative people. It is really something. Wait, since since we touched on all of our major boys today and FMK, Reese as or Cassian. <laughs> and Cassian. You're asking me specifically. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it goes without saying if you haven't caught on with our conversation since the first episode. I already know my order. I know my order. So, um Ooh. Okay. No, no, because I, I want to be a ruler. So I would fuck as Mary Reese and kill Cassian. I know me too. I just, I, I still want, can't I just do like, fuck, fuck Mary. (laughs) I know that's not the rules of the game. (sighs) It's, it's something. If I were a better person, (laughs) if I were a better person and I were, if I were less, ambitious and less of a Slytherin than I would marry as because I feel like he is just perfect for me but I would really like to rule a territory and and kind of just own that so I have to marry Reese to do that and yeah and I'm not really interested in a war general like I love Cass he's funny he's sexy but that's not my thing and I'm not even now like I'm not like oh a man in uniform I'm like "Eh." (laughs) yeah like yeah, I could, I could, you know, I can leave that. 
But I think that's a really good good way to leave off on this episode. And I have to say next week, as we mentioned, we will be talking about a court of war and ruin. So that is Akawar. To really tie it into this episode, when we talked earlier about having sex in really weird and unusual places, we will be touching on the weird and unusual place that Reese and Vera decide to have sex in Akawar, which is, of course, surrounded by dying soldiers in a tent that is not soundproofed on the battlefield. But I get it, too. It's awkward. No, it is. Oh, we'll talk about that. (laughs) It is something that the fandom has an issue with and that and more will be discussed next week. So make sure you tune in. Tune in and feel free to check out our Instagram page where we'll continue to post things that we discuss, reads, art that we love sharing. Uh, that is Acafe Podcast, A-C-O-F-A-E Podcast on Instagram. Thanks for joining us. Bye. <laughs>